Hello to our dear audience and welcome to our ESRG's podcast. ESRG's is a program covering Italy, Spain, Finland and Austria and it is co-financed by the European Union. Um, it has the aim to support and help migrants and refugees uh, to create their own initiatives and startups in the mentioning um, hosting countries. Um, what we aim is to encourage people with our inspiring stories to believe in themselves and to start their own entrepreneurial path. So I'm Polona, your host, and I would like to introduce you our interviewee for the day, and that is Asia Christ. So hello Asia, thank you for being with us today. Hi Polona, thanks for having me. Um, it's a pleasure, really. So if we can just you know, get right to it. Um, so you're the founder um, of the project Migrant Voices, right? Yes. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about the project itself and maybe how you came up with this initiative? Sure. So um, Migrant Voices is a collection of portraits, interviews and personal stories that seeks to humanize the narrative of migration as well as raise awareness about the issues that migrants face. Um, I think a lot of people have an idea of what migration is and who migrants are based on the very limited information in the media. And unfortunately, sometimes the demonizing and hateful rhetoric of many politicians. Therefore, I, I really just wanted to create a space where migrants themselves could define or redefine who they are in their own words. Um, this started in Santa Marta, Colombia, where I live as a migrant, and it was really a response to the overwhelming amount of Venezuelan migrants that I met there. Uh, at the time, four million Venezuelans had fled their country due to the humanitarian crisis, and I was shocked and actually a little embarrassed that I had such little knowledge of what was happening there. Uh, so I just started talking to more and more migrants, trying to learn about the situation, what they had been through, and finally I decided to share these stories. Uh, I just felt like they were really powerful and people needed to hear them. If I could learn something from them, then I was hoping that others could too. It's true. And it's like if you go through your collection, they're really beautiful photos. And but more than that, at least to me, it's like the story behind it mm -hmm. because it's like really touching and it really, yeah, like it humanizes it. Because I think, like you said, we're so used to, um, I don't know, more here in Europe, just seeing, you know, the the migrants on the boats and masses coming and this country mm -hmm. closing up. And you know, you yeah, they become these faceless numbers that are kind of just seen as a burden. Well, you see your like the projects that you do where you you know give them a name and and you know their background story and their history is really you know <laughs> inspiring and nice. And, yeah, so. thanks because that's that's actually exactly you know what this project is about to change the conversation from like you're saying this one image that people have of migrants arriving on a boat or in the United States, migrants swimming across the river. Um, you know, we, we focus on statistics and headlines and 
Like these migrants are just stripped of their identities and it's it's really not fair. Definitely, and probably in the US, I mean, especially now, pre-election season are really much used, I guess, in political means. And yeah. So. <laughs> You're doing good. <laughs> You're doing very good, I would say. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, okay, so mostly currently you're targeting, I mean targeting, because you live in Colombia and you came, so you're coming more across with the Venezuelan migrants, but for example now, let's say, I don't know what are your plans for the future for moving, I don't know where, but do you mean for the project maybe to expand also to some other migrant groups, I don't know, coming from some other um, kind of conflict areas or um, yeah. will you keep it in, uh, you know, this, I mean, you'll probably keep it in South American context or you want to also expand whether, I don't know how to formulate the question, I hope you understand. Yeah, I understand. It, you're right. The project focuses on the Venezuelan crisis and the people it has affected. But in the future, I would love to expand the project and talk to migrants all over the world. I mean, if this project represents a portrait of migration, then yes, of course, we need to give voice to other migrant groups and consider diverse perspectives. Um, each community, each migrant community, each country, it's unique in some way. So I'd be interested in exploring some of those differences as well as connecting the similarities. Um, because even now, I think with most of my experience learning and hearing about migration has been in the United States. So I can see how different it is um, in Colombia. So I would love to go to the United States. I would love to go to Europe and try to connect all of these stories together and give a true depiction of global migration. That would be lovely, actually. As an American, basically, um, you know, living in Colombia and obviously not being exactly, let's say, that culturally similar, how do they, how do these Venezuelan migrants, that when you approach them for interviews and, and for pictures, how do they, um, like, how do they perceive you? How do they um, kind of accept you? And like, with open arms, or are they a bit hesitant? Or? That's a good question. I mean, I, this is the thing that I was really scared about. I was really afraid that people were going to think, like, why is this white girl trying to talk to us about our problems she could never understand? And this is actually what the project is about, that I recognize that my migration to Colombia was under completely different circumstances than most of the Venezuelan migrants but that we could still relate on a lot of things. And that's kind of how it started. I was talking to a woman about her family and she really missed her family. And I said, wow, I really miss my family too. Um, but then I, I could also recognize how different it was for us because I could you know, go on a plane and visit my family and she couldn't. So I think that the project really started in a place of understanding and then it kind of grew from there. Um, I started with a woman that I knew very closely. I told her story and then she introduced me to her community and her friends. So the the project kind of grew like that. I didn't really go up to strangers and, and ask them if I could share their stories. It kind of just grew organically. Um, so, and a lot of the people that I continue to talk to, I don't 
I don't know what will happen in the future, but at this time, I really like to get to know people and connect with them. Obviously, they know I want to talk to them about the project, but I don't say like, hey, I'm coming, I'm taking your photo, and then I'm going to interview you, and then I'm never going to see you again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more about relationships, which is why it fo- the project focuses so much on you know, Venezuelans and where I live, because I can build those relationships. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what will happen in the future, but I hope that there's a way to do that in like a shorter period of time if I want to travel and, and meet other people. Yeah, so basically you just do it more in this, you know, kind of human level. So you don't go there as like, hi, I'm a researcher and I'm interested in migration, but more on, yeah, like you said, like with missing the family and just building that kind of a, you know, human to human person-to-person connection. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's actually, <laughs> very, very nice. Um, but also what I think is great about this project when I was reading about it um, is that besides like, um, you know, obviously humanizing migration and, and giving a voice and a face to migrants, um, you also provide food packages and rent assistance and medication to to the families that you talk to when you take photographs. So if you could share a bit more on that and what you do in the field and how did this also came out of just, you know, storytelling and photography. Sure. So, I mean, anytime that you hear these stories, especially stories of resilience, but also hardship, you want to help people. and. In the beginning, I really didn't know how to do that. I was trying to understand the needs of these families and I, I didn't really know how to support them. So I decided to just focus on the photography. But when the coronavirus hit, it was really clear what they needed. They needed food, they needed to not get evicted from their homes. I mean, it was hard for everyone, but especially for this vulnerable community, they had no support from the government, they had no family to lean on, no possibility to find work. So I was just sitting in my apartment, you know, crying, thinking, what are they supposed to do? Like really, what what do what do you do in this situation and what can I do? Because I didn't have the means to help all of them. In the past, I had, you know, brought sandwiches or juice for their children, but I couldn't, you know, support 12 or 15 families. So I posted something about the project on social media and I asked for donations. And thankfully there are and were a lot of generous people who were willing to help and we got those families through the worst of the lockdown. Um, And when things started to relax a bit, I decided to transition from the food packages and the rent assistance because I knew it wasn't sustainable, you know, like what would happen when the money ran out? So I decided to support the families in other ways in small business endeavors that could help them support themselves. So, you know, instead of giving you a food package, I will buy you the ingredients you need to sell baked items from your home. That way you can buy yourself food in the future. And um, that's kind of where we are now, trying to figure out um, and that's kind of interesting that it, there's that small connection between the EU star cheese. Like, mm-hmm. what are your skills? What can you do? And, and what's realistic here in Santa Marta right now? Like, maybe you have a dream to do this and maybe we can get there eventually, but right now, 
will buy you a food cart so you can buy you can sell fruit on the streets um, and I, I don't know in the future I'd really like to build something more but this is kind of just what we're doing now trying to help little by little with what we have perfect it's like giving kind of you know little micro loans but you know just like a little push that's, that's really good that's very yeah good. I, I mean yeah I think about it all the time like again trying putting myself in their position there have been plenty of times where I needed that help and I was lucky enough to just call my parents and say like you know I need a little bit of help right now or friends that could help me and you know these people don't have that right now so they just need that tiny little push that tiny little like you said loan and then they can support themselves that's actually perfect but and also i think it's really useful i would say like now too mm-hmm. um, like if spanish so i guess the language plays such a huge role now in this case like with the whole communication and like you know, that you're able to communicate with that community and then have an outreach, I guess, in English to like the, you know, developed world, let's say. Yeah. No, no, that's totally true. I mean, I think it's, it's really cool. Um, I, like, even right now I have, there are some of these, um, some of the people that I interviewed are just like these really talented, amazing artists, but they can't, they just don't know who to sell their art to. And unfortunately, they once had galleries in Venezuela and now they're selling their art on the streets. And you know, it's just it's just a whole different market. So they even asked me like, can you um, promote our work in the United States? And I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, they're the ones coming up with ideas. And I said, you know, give me some samples of your work and I'll bring them to the United States with me. And I've already sold some of them. So it's this, really amazing connection to have. You are, you're actually a, a really big facilitator of basically of everything. It's like, <laughs> like you're, you know, I don't think your website even like summarizes everything you do, but like, wow, really yeah. good. So um, then maybe if we turn more um, into you as an individual. So basically as what I kind of know, is that you started everything as a teacher. I mean, you're like a teacher and educator and you have a, you did your, your thesis in, in migration. But then you, you turned, you shifted towards being a photographer and visual storyteller. And now, as we've learned, you're a lot, a lot more, you're basically a humanitarian worker and, a, and like a little business, you know, um, facilitator. So how did all of this from just you know studying at university to be a teacher I assume shift into like this amazing story that you now have well it's pretty interesting like I said I, I always was super interested in migration and it was mostly because I wanted to teach English as a second language mm-hmm. so I thought you know if I wanted a lot of the people in the United States speak Spanish so maybe I should learn Spanish. Maybe I should try to understand the history of Latin America. And so that's how I kind of transitioned into being so interested in Latin American studies and migration. And then I wrote my senior thesis on the role photography plays in raising awareness about migration, which so it's like kind of crazy. Like, of course, I'm doing what I'm doing right now, except that at that time I had I knew nothing about photography. Oh, really? And you didn't start yet. 
No, I hadn't started, but my dad, when I was, I liked looking at photographs, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do with a camera. And my dad introduced me to a photography book by Sebastião Salgado, who is Brazilian, called Migrations. And this book is like this beautiful, awe-inspiring collection of images that he took over seven years all over the world of migrants and their journeys. And I was actually so moved by these photos that I decided to volunteer abroad. So that's when I made the decision to go work in the Dominican Republic with a Haitian migrant community. And I was there to be a teacher because again, like all I wanted to do was be a teacher, but I couldn't wait to get out of the classroom. I wanted to like know the people and the village and how they lived. So I would visit my students' homes and get to know their families. And eventually I started capturing it all with my camera, my really tiny little crappy camera. And <laughs> after months, the, the camera became invisible and the people stopped posing. And I was able to get these really raw and honest shots. And I was just so fascinated with how these seemingly simple, sometimes bad images could really portray who these people were, or at least who they were to me. And honestly, it was just another, like, it was an amazing way to connect with the community. It was like my camera was this key into this world that maybe I would have been too scared to be a part of, or too scared to enter. Um, like, I don't speak any Creole, but, you know, an old woman would point to my camera and smile, and I knew she wanted me to take her photo, so I did, and then I would show it to her, and her eyes would light up, and I just, I love that. Um, so I thought that maybe it was something that I would want to do, since I, I had way more fun, and I got way more joy out of taking photos than I did teaching, even though I really loved that. Um, so I started considering photography as an actual career, but I still didn't know. And then I went home to visit my parents and my dad, who is a photographer, showed me that book again, the Sebastian Salgado Migrations book. And I just, like it had been over a year since I had seen it. And I just saw it in this new way. And I said like, ah, like maybe one day I can make photographs like this. <laughs> And my dad said to me, well, Asia, you know, your photos are okay, but they could be better. And I was like, that is so rude. And then he, and then he gave me one of his cameras. Uh, so he was kind of like leading up to giving me a camera and it was my first professional camera. So um, then I went back to the Dominican Republic with like this whole new mission to to take these amazing photos and maybe impress my dad more since my photos were just okay. <laughs> and um, then I decided to go back to school and study photography and become a photographer. That's nice. So basically the book was like a little prophecy of your future and your <laughs> plans. Then. Yeah. I yeah, it had like this huge influence on me, but like I said, I look back on it and it's like I wanted to be a teacher and then I wanted to be an ESL teacher and then I became interested in migration. So I guess it was just like this progression of just following what my heart told me to do. I guess, yeah, and everything was kind of like, you were like connecting the dots that were kind of there, you know, your father a photographer, like mm -hmm. you're interested in migration and teaching in Spanish and it was all connected and came to this, it seems. 
Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Um, but also then, okay, like you said, you live in the Dominican Republic and you're currently fine. Well, I don't know currently, I assume not, because of COVID, but like you're residing in, in Colombia. Mm-hmm. So how would you say, like, has this experience of living abroad in, I would assume, very different culture than the one in the States? Um, how has that shaped you? Like, how has that helped you to become the person you are now? And like, if you can tell a bit more. It's a good question because I think I'm still trying to figure out who I am all the time. And <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I, I think that that kind of is something that happens your whole life. Um, and I get really confused going back and forth, actually, between Colombia and the U.S. But I think, I guess just living in a different place kind of just broadens your identity, makes you realize that things. Um, and I think it definitely has just made me more open-minded. I mean, I'm constantly, I'm also a teacher. I'm still a teacher. So I talk to adults from all over the world. I teach them English. So I'm just constantly learning about life from new perspectives. And that's the thing that I love the most, which is why I love both of my jobs. Mm -hmm. And if you're constantly learning from other people, I think that just makes you a better person, really. So I guess I guess I feel like my identity has changed because I feel just more connected to people around the world. Whereas before I was kind of just like Asia in the United States and now I feel like Asia, like citizen of the world or something. <laughs> and that, that has a huge impact on your life. Definitely. I, I can relate to that because I'm Slovenian but I live in Sweden where I studied and now I'm in Italy for an internship. But I feel yeah. like, for example, there's like the Polona, the Slovenia, the Polona in Slovenia, then the Polona in Sweden, the Polona in like Italy, and it's like this, you know, different, not different personalities, but like personalities that add on each other. I'd say I don't know. How exactly. That, that's exactly how I feel. Like uh, in the beginning, it was like separate, and now it's it's all coming together and kind of just like how you know we were just talking about how all of my interests have kind of come together all of the dots have been connected like that's how I feel about my identity and my personality too like all parts of my personality are coming together and I just I feel I have to say you know I'm 30 years old and I finally just feel like I'm really happy and proud of the person I am and I guess that comes from all of the experiences I've had. Yeah, you definitely should be proud of yourself. Like, you're making like such an impact. Like, it's it's like it's so nice how much like one individual can do, and like and can affect like on such a even like global scale. I mean, like we're in Europe and they found you out. You know, <laughs> like yeah, it's really exciting for me too. So you're you're doing great. So sadly, like I'm just gonna have one more kind of finishing question. Even though like, we could do this forever, I feel really <laughs> interesting. Um, so basically, what is your main hope for change for the for the migrant immigrant community for the future? Like, what do you hope will happen? Kind of. I just hope that I guess the perception of immigrants and migrants. I just hope that they can be less discriminated against and less stereotyped and 
actually more celebrated because I think that there's a lot of value of having a diverse community live in your country. Um, so I just, that's what I hope that, you know, we are excited about immigrants coming to our country rather than trying to build a wall to deter them from coming. <laughs> Definitely. That's a good way to end this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and just before the election, so. Yeah, yeah I had so, to get my little dig in there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. Build an American flag. Like. Okay, so, okay, we really appreciate you for being here with us today and that you dedicated your time for this interview. And basically, for all the listeners um, out there, I remind you that you can find interviews on our website at www.eustardgees.com and as well as on our communication channels with the same name, Eustardgees, and... Um, also, you can find us, find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Anchor. So thanks again, Asia, for being with us today and for everyone listening. And I wish you a great day.